Dan Duquette, the general manager of three major league teams, is one of those how-did-I-beat-the-odds stories. He grew up in Dalton, Massachusetts, population 6,500, played baseball and football at highly academic Amherst College, not exactly a big-name athletic program, then got his first break in the major leagues after being hired by a man named Dalton who went to Amherst. With all that luck possibly being the residue of design, Dan Duquette was a prime mover in putting together the 2004 World Champion Red Sox. He said his sweetest memory was being in the position to call Ted Williams and invite him to the 99 All-Star Game held in Fenway Park. Dan recalled actually saying to his childhood icon, Hi, Ted, it's Dan Duquette. Imagine that. Welcome, Dan Duquette. Thank you, Leslie. How are you? I'm really well. We love this time of year. But uh, tell me a little about, you went to one of the most academic colleges in America, Amherst. They accept about, I think, 5% of the applicants. So were you going there not to be a major league catcher? <laughs> well, I wasn't that great a major league catcher. <laughs> in fact, uh, the I didn't catch that much in college. They, they had a kid, Rich Richie Lundgren, who the Yankees ended up signing, uh, played in their minor leagues, and, and he was our catcher. But anyway, I, I, did, I did have the privilege to go to Amherst, uh, and I played on the baseball team. I was actually a better football player at Amherst than I was a, a baseball player. Let me guess. You must have been – you have a linebacker, defensive back mentality. Yeah, I was a linebacker. I was all New England linebacker my senior year from Amherst, and uh, – the, the, I'm actually quite proud of that, um, but I was a better football player than baseball player. Um, but Amherst had a great tradition for baseball. The coach there, Bill Thurston, was there for 45 years, and he put a lot of pretty good players in the big leagues. I think we had seven or eight players on the team that I played that ended up going into pro ball, including a couple of major league pitchers, Johnny Cerruti, a left-handed pitcher with Toronto, and Richie Thompson, right-hander. Uh, pitched in the big leagues with Cleveland, and I had Richie in Montreal when I was the GM up there. Didn't you also? He produced Amherst produces general managers. Well, yeah, Amherst has a good tradition. Um, Harry Dalton, the Western Mass guy from West Springfield, graduated Amherst in 1950, and I uh, wrote to Harry when I was a senior at Amherst, and Harry gave me an opportunity with the Brewers. I interviewed with Harry in the uh, dugout at Yankee Stadium in, in 1980 when I was at Amherst. It was the April game. The Brewers were playing the uh, Yankees. And uh, Harry invited me down for an interview. Um, and I, in the dugout, I, I said, uh, Harry, you, are, are you going to give me the job? He goes, hey, hey Dan, wait a second. He goes, you're from Amherst College. I'm from Amherst College. You're from Western Mass. I'm from Western Mass. You're from Dalton. That's my last name. He goes, if I didn't hire you, I'd be turning my back on myself. And so he, <laughs> he, he gave me an opportunity on the, on those those three associations. Well, it worked out so well. Uh, since we are in the playoffs, just go back a little to go forward. Are you a fan of the one-game playoff, the wild card? Well, you know, I've been in that one-game playoff the wild card a couple of times. First year in uh, 12 with the Orioles, we went down to Texas. We were the visiting team, and uh, we we beat the Rangers. 
uh, Joe Saunders, left-handed pitcher, came in and he, he shut him down, and we got a couple of we got a couple of hits. But it, and, and it was a good team in Texas. You know, I think they had um, they had been in a World Series a couple of times. Uh, but it, I mean, it, it's a real it's a real nail biter, right? It, it, you know, it's a it's a coin flip. It's, it's hit or miss, and so uh, we lost in Toronto um, in 2016. Uh, on a walk-off home run in extra innings. And, you know, of course, that, that's a killer. Am I a fan of it? Uh, I know the fans like it because they like the drama. But I, I can remember being in the uh, pregame meeting in Toronto and Joe Torrey uh, was in there for Major League Baseball and he said, uh, boys, congratulations. Um, uh, you, you got to the playoffs. He goes, but this is your game seven of the World Series. Okay, one of you teams is going to advance and one's going to go home. So don't leave anything on the field. And uh, I think that about sums it up because it's high stakes and it's high drama. Uh, But one game after playing 162, that makes it kind of tough. But it's an added in whatever game seven. But do you feel that uh, had the Dodgers not made it, do you think we would have seen a change in the format? (laughs) <laughs> well, the Yankees didn't make it. The Yan- Yankees didn't make it. Well, they didn't it. have a uh, hundred plus wins. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it, it, it's tough. Um, I like to see I like to see the playoffs. I like to see the uh, you know a lot of teams in the tournament. Uh, one game's a little bit. One game's a little tough. Well, if they were to tweak it, do you think? I I think John Smoltz has suggested two out of three, but can that? sort of mess up your rotation going forward? I don't know if you, I don't know if they, they'd have to shorten the regular season probably to do, do the two out of three. It, it's not really, like really fair, but to those teams that have gone the whole season, but uh, you know, it does have a, an elevated sense of drama, which adds to the tournament, right? Look at the Red Sox, right? They beat the Yankees in a one game playoff. And then they went and they beat Tampa. So Tampa wins over 100 games. They win 10 more games than the Red Sox, and the Red Sox get to knock them out in five games. So, I mean, that's not really fair either. But, I mean, that, that's the way the tournament's set up. Where were you for the 78 Yankee-Red Sox game? Well, I was in Fenway Park. Um, As was I. Were you sitting near me? You probably had better seats. Uh, well, no. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I was a uh, – let's see, that was 78, right? So I was a a junior in college and in Amherst on Mondays, we didn't practice. We had, we had film review at night and I asked the coach if, you know, if I could go to the game and come back. And he said, yeah, as long as you get back for the game. So my brother Dennis and I, and his wife, Diane, we got tickets from the scoreboard operator uh, at Fenway park, who was a friend of my dad's. And uh, we got in and our seats were up in uh, the right, not, not right field grandstands, about in line with first base. Were you saying to yourself, Bucky Dent? BFD? Afterwards, I mean, <laughs> even though there was another home run after that, you know, there was more to the game, but at the, there wasn't more to the game. <laughs> yeah, no, they, 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 there was like this uh, punch in the stomach, right? When, when uh, Bucky Dent hit one into the screen. And and we were cruising. I, I I felt that if Yaz could get up in the ninth, uh, you know, we would have a chance to uh, win the game. Of course, Pinella made that great play in right field with the uh, shadows at Fenway. Um, 
<laughs> I was with Tommy Mooney, who's a, a great scout. And uh, Tommy's from Pittsfield, Mass. And, and uh, we were walking down Newberry Street one day. And Pinello was having lunch at one of the uh, restaurants outside. And I stopped to say hello to him. And Tommy Mooney goes, hey, Lou, how did you catch that ball in, in, uh, in right field? He goes, well, he goes, I, I couldn't see it. He said, so I had to play deeper. He said, I knew I had to play deeper. Well, it was, wasn't it for years in the clubhouse when the Yankees would play the Red Sox after that, that they would put above dense locker, just BBD instead of his name. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much accepted. You know, it, it, it actually extended uh, to, uh, from BFD to AFB to Aaron Boone, right. When he hit the home run off Wakefield in 2003 in the extra inning. So um yeah, you know what? What? What a what a great uh, rivalry! Not that the Red Sox fans carry it with them, right? They don't carry seventy eight with them anymore, <laughs> <laughs> except for ten thousand articles before <laughs> this playoff. But uh, tell me, you mentioned both um, Joe Torre and the Yankees as as a catcher growing up. Would you imitate Elston Howard or Torre, or who were you in the backyard? Um, well, I, I, I was a catcher in little league and, uh, American Legion ball. And then when I got to high school, we had a good catcher and the kid ended up going to university of South Florida. So I played the outfield. So, and, uh, Jimmy Rice doesn't believe me because he was, he was a hitting coach for me when I was with the Red Sox, but I wore number 14. When, when I saw Rice take a check swing and break the bat in half, I said, wow, what awesome strength this guy has. But uh, Jim, Jimmy didn't believe me, but I, I, I always tried to emulate uh, Jim Ed Rice because he was so dependable. He's such a great hitter, and he was a hard worker. And I was, I was so uh, thrilled for Jimmy and, and for the Red Sox when Jimmy finally got into the Hall of Fame. We, we worked hard to um, – I mean, Jimmy's numbers speak for themselves, but – uh, the longevity of his career, it had shortened his career, it made it hard for him to get in there. But when he got in there, I was so, oh, so grateful for him. And I went to Fenway the day they retired his number at, uh, at Fenway Park. And that, that, that was a, that was the great, great, that was great thrill for me. The Red Sox gave me tickets actually right next to the uh, Oakland dugout. They were playing Oakland that night. And uh, Nomar, Nomar was in the Oakland dugout and yeah, he, I was standing next to Nomar. And uh, Jimmy came by and we got a chance to congratulate him. Uh, tell me what that's like to trade a beloved player. You traded Nomar, not unlike Heimblum, uh traded Mookie Betts. I mean, what, 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 go, what are the factors that go into it? And is that germane that somebody is so beloved? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that was a tough one. Um, actually, uh, we drafted Nomar. He was the first pick that uh, we selected in the draft when I got to the Expos in, in uh, 1994. And Nomar had a good career. He, he won a couple of batting titles. And then Theo actually traded Nomar in August of uh, 2004 when he identified that he needed a little bit better defense at shortstop. And I, I, I would have had a hard time trading Nomar because we had drafted him. He had such a good career. But uh, Theo, I had identified that, um, you know, he could improve his ball club with better defense at short. And he went out and he traded Nomar for Orlando Cabrera with the Expos, who who we actually signed when I was with the Expos 
uh, Freddie Ferreira signed uh, Holbert Cabrera, and then he came to me and he said, uh, I'm going to go back and sign his brother. I said, all right. And he did two years later. But anyway, um, it's difficult to uh, trade really good players and to part with really good players, you know, particularly when they've done a good job and they're endeared to your fans. That, that That's always a tough one. Yeah, you just uh, mentioned a brother. I mean, you signed Pedro twice, but at first, wasn't he just the skinny brother of Ramon? <laughs> Well, I mean, Ramon won 19 games, right, in the, in the National League. And uh, he, he was a great mentor to to Pedro. Um, uh, you know, I mean, you, you wish Pedro had Ramon's size, right? Six foot four. Uh, I mean, Pedro was awesome as he was, but just think how, how much more awesome he would have been if he was as tall as his brother. But, um, you know... Uh, Ramon, we picked up with the Red Sox, and he was one of the reasons we were able to advance in the playoffs in 99. Pedro had a great year. Ramon was a steadying influence on on Pedro. But Ramon was also a veteran pitcher with some know-how, and he helped us finally get by Cleveland to get into the ALCS in 99 against the Yankees. But um, you're, you're right. Pedro was a skinny kid. Would he be your guy? Who would be your guy of all the pitchers? You've had who would be your guy in a game seven? Well, Pedro's my favorite uh, pitcher that I've ever signed. And, you know, the reason for that is that he has everything. You know, I've been all around the globe looking for pitchers. Uh, well, Pedro doesn't have the size you look for, but he has everything else. He has the pitches. He's got the great fastball. He's got the movement. He's got the excellent curve. He's got the Bugs Bunny changeup. He's got the acumen. He can read hitters. Uh, he's got the panache, you know, he, he loves to be out there performing. He's a diva and he's so, so, uh, eloquent, you know, I mean, it's like he, he, he's, he, he's just, he just has everything. I mean, you, you hear him talk as an analyst and his, his intelligence comes through his command of the language that, of the, of the language. I'm just so impressed by, but, uh, you know, if you have, if you had to ask me who my favorite player was or pitcher was it, it, it was Pedro Martinez and who would your closer be <laughs> uh well probably my favorite closer was Heathcliff Slocum because I was able to trade him for <laughs> right for, for uh Jason Veritek and uh and Derek Lowe but um Actually, you know, um, I think my favorite closer of all time is is my uh, buddy from Dalton, Jeff Reardon who closed for the Twins in the uh, 87 World Series. We played on the same Little League team. So I would say that he is my favorite closer, seeing that he closed out the World Series for the Twins. Did he kill it in Little League? Oh, yeah, he was he was awesome in Little League. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that when he pitched batting practice, it wasn't batting practice. He just tried to find out what you couldn't hit, and then he would throw, and then he would throw it there. <laughs> Did Belanger grow up near you? Are you? Yeah, uh, Mark Belanger's from Pittsfield, and uh, he went to Pittsfield High. He take your job too along the way. Uh, well, actually, I, I, when I was a boy, uh, he married a girl by the name of Dee Dee Apple, and he lived in Dalton in the off season. And I used to deliver newspapers, and for a couple of years, I delivered Mark's newspaper to his to his door. And then he worked at a sporting goods store in Pittsfield with his brother, Al, who was a coach at St. Joseph's high. 
And uh, he worked he worked there in the offseason with the Orioles. And I, I got to know Mark pretty well um, over the years. Uh, I played against uh, his brother, Al, at, uh, in high school. We, we played St. Joe. And then I got to know Mark when he worked for the Players Association. We did a couple of uh, arbitration hearings where I was representing players with the Expos and, and Mark was on the other side. But, I mean... He, you know, he, 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 my father always talked about Mark Belanger being the best athlete that he ever saw uh, coming out of Pittsfield. He was a great basketball player. And you look at his numbers with the Orioles. Um, a lot of people don't know this, Leslie, but Mark Belanger has the third most games all time in the history of the Orioles. His third really? most. Yeah. And uh, behind Cal Ripken and, and, and Brooks Robinson. And, you know, when 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 uh, when I went to uh, Baltimore, they said, you can have uh, you can you can choose your parking space. And I said, yeah, OK, what what are my choices? And they said, well, you can have between the numbers of three and seven. I said, I'll take number seven. I'll take uh, Mark Belanger's number. So that was my parking space when I was with, with the Orioles. What made you go back? You'd been out of baseball for a while. What made you go to the Orioles? Um, well, I, I was waiting for an opportunity. Uh, I had a, a young family. I was waiting for my kids to um, get out of school to go back to uh, Major League Baseball. And I got an opportunity to go back with the Orioles. So Peter Angelos gave me a, gave me a chance. And uh, we, we always followed the Orioles when we were kids. You know, we used to play wiffle ball games in the backyard, Red Sox and Orioles, right? And, you know, one 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 team would have to emulate all the Hitters on the Red Sox, you know, Tony Canigliaro, uh, Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, and then, you know, the other team would have to emulate the Orioles, Boog Powell, Brooks Robinson, Franks Robinson, you know, Belanger, you know, all, all those guys. Did you find did you find the fans in Baltimore were equal to the Red Sox fans? Very knowledgeable. Well, the, the the fans in Baltimore, uh, they 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 love their baseball. And when I got to Baltimore, um, you know, they hadn't had very good teams uh, for like 14 years. They had some good teams in the uh, the end of the 90s when Pat Gillick was there as the GM, but they hadn't been very good. And the the Oriole fans, they just they just wanted a good team. They wanted a team that they could be proud of and and connect with. And fortunately, in uh, 2012, we had the uh, infrastructure to have a good team, and we went out and we built the pitching staff. And that was the year that uh, Peter Angelos decided to honor all the great Oriole Hall of Famers. And uh, Janet Marie Smith uh, designed uh, that area in center field where we put in all the great Oriole Hall of Famers, Eddie Murray. Cal Ripken, Frank and Brooks Robinson, Earl Weaver, uh, Jim Palmer. That whole pitching staff went in, or no? Of the twenty-game winners? No, no. It was just it was just the uh, Cooperstown Hall of Famers. But I mean, that was kind of a magical year because the the, the team was good, and the fans were reconnecting with the team. Uh, the Oriole greats were reconnecting with the team because they they hadn't been uh, hadn't had a strong relationship with the team. So so 2012 was a really good year for the Orioles. But the the fans, they they wanted to come back and they wanted to support the team. And the fact that we had a good team and and got to the playoffs that year and all those guys came back uh, 
you know, that, that, that reinvigorated the fan base. Um, and also, uh, you were the executive of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, we 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 had we, we had a good year. I always I always credit uh, Nelson Cruz. Uh, you know, I always introduce him as the guy that got me the executive of the year. But um, we, we 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 had a good year. But like the Orioles fans were, were were back. You know, they they were back and they they want to be back and supporting the team. You mentioned Tony Cnigliero, of course, the great tragedy from the Impossible Dream Team in 67. And you and I just saw Andy Billman's uh, piece on Ray Chapman, uh, War on the Mound. Uh, tell me, is do pitchers ever talk to you about fear at the plate? I mean, hitters talk about fear at the plate or, or what have you seen in your 40-year career? Well, you, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, because if you're up there and you're a hitter, uh, you have to have a clear mind, right? I mean, these pitchers are coming up there at a uh, hundred miles an hour and you, you cannot be afraid, uh, while you're in that batter's box, right? It's like a pilot who's flying a plane, you know, you got to be concentrated on, on what you're doing because it's happening so quickly. Um, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, there, there haven't been uh, a lot of injuries, but there's been a, like Ray Chapman, that was very unfortunate. Tony Canigliaro, of course, he had the promise of a great career cut short uh, from the incident uh, with the Angels. But, I mean, the hitter's got to be up there without any fear with a, with a plan to try to hit the ball. Uh, I, I fear currently not just for the – the hitter, but I, I, I fear for the pitchers. I mean, these guys are, that ball's going out it faster than it's coming in. I mean, these, these big, strong guys, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, Manny Machado, those guys are belting the ball back at 120 miles an hour and you don't have a lot of time to react. For people who don't really understand uh, what that speed is in the Roy Chapman documentary, I think someone said that it comes at you. It's two blinks of the eye. Yeah, well, I mean, the hitter has less than uh, four four tenths of a second to decide whether he's going to swing or not, right? So if that ball's coming at you, sometimes uh, you don't have the right capability to get out of the way, right? You get you get paralyzed for just a split second, and that's a problem. Um, and then on those balls back hit towards the pitcher, but, you know, the pitcher throws it. He's got to be in a fielding position, but he's in a vulnerable position for a while. Do you think Kike Hernandez has like x-ray vision? <laughs> he seems to right now, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you see in him? Does he remind you of anybody you had or tell me your thoughts on Kike? Well, I mean, he, he's, he's really put it all together this year. I was looking at his record yesterday. Uh, he's put up uh, the numbers of a star player this year. And th there were teams in Major League Baseball going into the season that didn't see him as, as an everyday player. And the last two months of the season that he's put together with the Red Sox, he, he certainly um, distinguished himself. And, you know, n not only that, I mean, he, he comes through, he gets a base hit when you need a base hit. I mean, he, he, he's, he's had a phenomenal a run here with the Red Sox over the last two months. And he can play several, several positions. He's a good base runner. Got a lot of enthusiasm. You know, I, I got to give Alex core a lot of credit. 
he 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 seems to get the most out of these young ball players. Yeah, he's had a phenomenal year. Uh, do you feel that um, the cheating scandal is going to hang over the Red Sox Astros series? <laughs> well, the fact that we're talking about it, I think, uh, <laughs> answers that question. Um, the the uh, well, of course, uh, Alex took it took a year off. He took a timeout, right? He had to sit in the corner for a year. Um, now they allow they they allow those iPads in the dugout during the game. You see those guys taking a look at them. You know, the, the question is, um, you know, are, are are they playing within the rules, right? And uh, you know, I I would hope that they're 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 playing within the rules because the stakes are high and the fans want to know that we have a credible game going on out there. Well, as you know, cheating's gone on for a hundred years, but what what for you as a general manager, what is the acceptable level of cheating? Or is this just that, hey, technology got better and people took advantage of it? I, I don't think that uh, the cheating is acceptable. I, I think the onus is on the league to enforce the rules. I, I really do. And, and, and uh, you know, the fact that uh, this team is doing it, that, that's not right. Um, we, we played Cleveland in the playoffs. What was that? Uh, maybe 95. Yeah, and uh, we wanted to enforce the uh, uh, legal legality of the bats that uh, Albert Bell was using, and the, you know the league was reluctant to do that. And it's like, wait, wait a second, that that that's your job. You you need to put your stamp of approval on this product that it's a fair game between both teams. So, um, what what the Astros did was way over the top. Did no did no one put that together at the time? That Way over the top. Well, you know, in, in retrospect, we, we went in there uh, to play the Astros and uh, we came out of that series and, and uh, Buck Showalter said to me, he said, I think there's something with the lights with the Astros. You know, our, our, our guys were, were getting out consistently. I said, well, what about the lights when those guys hit? Because they were they were nailing us. They beat us like 10 to 3 and 12 to 2. And that was right about the time that they started their, uh, you know, procedure with, you know, banging on the bats to alert the hitters to the, uh, you know, fastball coming. So when you and Buck were having the discussion, were you screaming over the trash can noise? Well, we, we, we hadn't identified that as the, uh, uh, as the method that, that the Astros were using, but, you know, we couldn't understand how we could go in there and, and, and get 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 slaughtered. You know, we, we we had a pretty good ball club. We we played pretty well with a number of other teams in the league. And then uh, we 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 went in there and we just got smoked. So yeah. um, you know, we, we we were looking for some answers. You know, they they came out after that, of course. Um, but you know, to me, I think the onus is on the league. I think the league needs needs to uh, police the and, and enforce the rules. What do you regard as fair sign stealing? Well, anything that you can pick up without technology, as far as I'm concerned, is 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 fair game. Um, you know, I, I think baseball needs to find a solution to the uh, sign giving, actually, and uh, you know, come up with a solution 
uh, where you can communicate directly and effectively between the pitcher and the catcher, or even between the bench and, and the field during the game, you come up with some sort of uh, uh, stealth communication, if you will. Doesn't that sound like technology? Well, that sounds like technology, but it, it wouldn't. It would be uh, communi- direct communication among the team during the game. Hey, I always wondered this. How many of the nine zillion gyrations that a coach is going through for for a signal, uh, what is usually the one that is ignore everything from before this? Well, they they usually give an indicator before they give a sign, right? So if they if they do this or they do this, none of that matters. Yeah, none of that matters until they give an indicator. So. Let's say the indicator is uh, skin to skin. So anytime you see skin to skin, the, the next sign after is the live sign, for example. Why do they have to go through so many before the skin to skin? If everyone knows somewhere along the way, there's going to be an indicator. So the other team doesn't get it, I guess. That's why they do it. So the important thing is that your team understands what you're communicating directly to them. And you, you, you try to keep it from the other teams. Do you have... Or have you had differing thoughts about the Pete Rose scenario? I mean, we have gambling ads all over the place now. Well, that's that that that's an interesting question. Um, I, I I I saw the report uh, that Major League Baseball had on Pete Rose, uh, the John Dowd report. So I, I have a different feeling about uh, Pete Rose, and I, I don't think Pete's going to get into the Hall of Fame based upon what I read in that report. Um, I, I, you know, gambling is, is, is come into professional sports, and that's another reason that I think the onus is on the league to enforce the rules so that people that are watching can trust in the integrity of the game that it's a fair contest. Um, so as you see more and more people become involved in the game, betting, not, not, not just on the outcome of the game, but outside the United States, they bet on a lot of things that happen in game. Oh, at Wimbledon, you know, people were, even the hosts were saying, well, who do you think is going to take the second set? <laughs> and so, you know, they were running to Ladbrokes. And... Yeah. So I, I think that's a fine line, but. You know, again, I think the onus is on the league to enforce the rules so that they have a credible product, uh, you know, that pe- people can engage engage in. 99, was that really tough for you uh, that it was such a great team and the Yankees, you know, going on? Like, in your career, was that a really tough moment? Well, I mean, you know, 99, we had the opportunity to um, – you know, face the Yankees for the pennant. And, you know, that's something that I had worked on my life for. And we, we, we got there, uh, unfortunately, or, you know, the reason the Yankees beat us is they had a better bullpen than we had. We got into an extra inning game in the first game. I think we got an extra inning game in the second game. We ended up losing both of those. Uh, we had Rod Beck and Rich Garces in our bullpen. And I think they had, they had Wetland and uh, Mariano Rivera. And they they had the stronger bullpen, and you know, and you know that was uh, they, they they were they were the better club. We 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 had we had we had a great year in '99. We had, of course, we had the All Star Game here at Fenway. We had some magical moments. Yeah, wait, tell me about that. What was um, 
I mean, can you imagine I'm, as you know, I'm a native Bostonian. And so our childhood, we had Williams, Russell, and number four, Bobby Orr, but there was Ted Williams and you had a major role when he came back to Fenway. Yeah, it was, it was the last uh, all-star game for the Yawkey ownership, right? And uh, Bud Selig had called me uh, in the fall before, and he said, Duke, you, you have one job this year. I said, what's that, Bud? He goes, you got to get Ted Williams to the all-star game for us. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it did, it did turn out to be pretty easy because I, I, I called Ted, and I said, hey, Ted, uh, you know, we got the all-star game this year and uh, we, we, we want you to come up and uh, throw out the first pitch. And he goes, uh, yeah, OK. I said, well, I'm actually calling to ask you what it would take. And he goes, well, you, you got to send a private plane. I said, all right, uh, let me go to work on that. I'm pretty sure we can do that. He didn't um, want a new fishing boat or. A... <laughs> he wanted a private plane. So we. Uh, I called up the commissioner. I said, Bud, uh, we can get Ted here. He goes, what's it take? I said, well, you got to get him a plane you know, up and back. He said, yeah, no problem. Uh, but but anyway, um, w- what a great moment that was for Red Sox fans, wasn't it? To see it uh, Ted Williams on the field. It, it, I mean, w- what a thrill. I mean, I, that was one of the great thrills that I had uh, in my career was seeing all those players on the field at Fenway Park. I mean, Willie Willie Mays on the field at Fenway Park. Are you kidding? And we had Carl Yastrzemski, Mike Schmidt, uh, Brooks Robinson. Does it ever strike you that, um, okay, I'm a kid from Dalton, I'm from the Berkshires, I go to Amherst, and I actually can say the sentence. So I called Ted and I said, hey, Ted. (laughs) I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you know, um, I got to tell you, did, did you know that Ted went to Amherst College? Are we speaking of the same Ted Williams? Yeah, yeah. So. Ted, Ted says to me, uh, first time I meet him, he goes, uh, hey, 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 uh, hey, hotshot, uh, I, I saw and I read that that, that uh, you went to Amherst College, eh? I said, yeah. He goes, that's a pretty good school. Huh? It's kind of hard to get into. I said, well, yeah. I said, I'm not sure I get in there now, but, you know, I got I got a chance to go there. He goes, um, yeah, well, um, they got the baseball field. Uh, you look out over the hill. Uh, Memorial Hill, and they got all the mountains uh, around the baseball field. I said, yeah, that's it. He goes, uh, you know, I went to Amherst College, too. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, I went there in 1953 when they had to train the pilots to go back into the Korean War. He goes, we went to Amherst College. He goes, I took batting practice on that field. Is this is this like a known at Amherst? Is there like a yeah shrine? yeah it, it's known. But 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 anyway, Ted goes, hey, uh, it couldn't have been too hard to get in there because they took pesky with me too. <laughs> so anyway, but but Ted Ted went to Amherst when they went through the uh, pilot training to go back to uh, when he went back to serve in the Korean War. And, you know, he, he was proud of the fact that he went to Amherst. Who did you have when you when you took over the GM and now you're in the GM's office of your childhood team? Like what pictures did you have on the wall? Well, I, I, I had pictures of a lot of the um, great Red Sox players. 
um, that, that I had known when I was growing up. I was a big fan of Carlton Fist. Of course, he was from New England, right? And uh, the uh, we had the Carlton Fist Day, and we retired his number at Fenway Park. That 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 was a great thrill, and I I thought you know that Carlton Fisk epitomized the uh, the Red Sox team and the pride that New Englanders have in the Red Sox organization, right? He was one of our own who came up and uh, and stayed, and although in the '67, didn't you say? My gosh. Um, okay, we had Mike Ryan, but who was great, you know, good. But did you look at McCarver and say, oh my goodness, that's a catcher? Well, I mean, it, there was uh, there were some great, great uh, players. I mean, you know, the Red Sox had great players, but they 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 just didn't get over the they just didn't get over the line, right? They just they had a lot of chances, but they just didn't get over the line. I mean. We had opportunities in in '67. We had opportunities in '75. Uh, we had opportunity in '78. How many times did the Yankees beat us and then go on and win the win the World Series? Oh, how about I covered? Well, I'm sure maybe you went to some of them. Those Nets games, and I remember I was going to get to do the Red Sox clubhouse celebration, and somebody said, "You know, hold the elevator." Mitchell singled. <laughs> Don't go down. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, that's, that's why Boone off Wakefield for me, I didn't speak to Aaron Boone for like three years. That was so painful. I, 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 uh, Lou Gorman, of course, in 86 was the GM of the Red Sox. And, uh, in 2004, I had the privilege of watching, uh, game one at Fenway Park, the 2004 world series with Lou Gorman. And uh, that, that, that was a great thrill for me. We watched it in the uh, 600 club and I sat there for three or four innings with Lou. And I said, Lou, I, I, I think we're going to do it this time. And, uh, you know, there was a certain pride of being a New Englander and having, uh, you know, taken up the task and failed and then finally see it come to fruition. Tell me how, um, how, how do you possibly court Manny Ramirez? <laughs> what does that man, take? Man, I love Manny Ramirez. He's uh, he's something, and he, he's one of the very entertaining guy. Very entertaining. Well, how did that conversation go? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, they did a special on it with ESPN, right? Je- Jeff Morad was Manny's agent, and this was his uh, swan song as an agent. He was getting into the uh, administrative side of baseball which I didn't know at the time, but, you know, he said, uh, Dan, we're going to be filming the uh, Manny Ramirez negotiations, you know, which, which, which I wanted, you know, about as much as I wanted to hear, you know, get a pin in your fingernails across the chalkboard. Right. It's like, Oh, come on, man. But it it, it was required. So anyway, uh, we we went through all that, but we we were able to sign them. Um, really by paying more money, you know, and John Harrington wanted to sign a free agent then. You know, was he there? Was he involved in any of it? Or did you make phone calls to him? Hey, Manny, it's Duke. Yeah, well, I, I had to call Manny down in Florida. And then uh, we went down to see him. We went down to see him down in South Florida. And then uh, we went out to California to meet with his agent, Jeff Morad, at his at his office in Newport Beach. Mike Port and I did that. And then we eventually signed him at the winter meeting uh, down in Texas. But we we, we hadn't signed uh, during my tenure a significant free agent because we were building the ball club. 
And John Harrington had an idea that he was going to sell the ball club. And, you know, they love star players in Boston. And uh, we, we were in the chase for Mike Mussina. A-Rod was a free agent that year. And um, it became clear that Mussina was probably going to go elsewhere and A-Rod was going to stay put in Texas. So we put our efforts into signing Manny. And, you know, he ended up being a great player for the Red Sox. I think he's hit more home runs, right, in the playoffs than anybody. Got the MVP of the World Series. Just, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a great hitter and very entertaining guy, very dependable hitter. Did you feel uh, that 2004, um, not just obviously you've been a childhood, you know, our whole lives waiting for that moment, but also that you had so much involvement with that roster? Well, I mean, yeah, 2004 was, you know, the culmination of, you know, many years of hard work by a lot of people. And the Red Sox finally, you know, they finally broke through. Um, so I was in St. Louis with a friend of mine. We saw the first two games in Boston, and then I went to St. Louis and got a chance to see uh, Pedro, who won game three. That, that was a great thrill. And then, of course, Derek Lowe was on the mound uh, for game four. And, um, you know, I mean, we, we, we had a lot of the key pieces. Uh, they, they were in place in 2002 uh, when I uh, left the organization. 2003, we missed out. That was, of course, a heartbreaker. And then 2004, the Red Sox wouldn't quit, right? They were, they were down in the Yankees three games, and they, they came back. Um, David Ortiz got every key hit that they needed. Derek Lowe, he, I mean, he pitched every clinching game during his tenure w with the Red Sox. I mean, they, they, just, they, they, just finally, they, they just finally did it, you know? Did it come full circle for you? You know, you had contentious days with the Red Sox, with Clemens and Mo Vaughn leaving, and the fan attendance was great, but you had some contentious times there with the media. Then did coming back, you, you were inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. Did that kind of bring it full circle and settle it? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you're, uh, if you're running a team and you're in a market as passionate as Boston, I mean, the, the, the fans wanted results, right? And, and they, were, they were frustrated. Tired of it. <laughs> they were tired of it, right. And, and uh, you know, finally, the, 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 Red Sox, the Red Sox broke through, right? But, I mean, four generations of my family had seen the Red Sox not win. And, you know, they, we, they all didn't get there. My, my, my dad didn't see him win. My grandmothers, my grandfathers, they didn't, they didn't see him win. But, but we finally did get to see him win. And, uh, you know, we were grateful to be a part of it. But, uh, you know, the Red Sox fans were just so passionate. But, but since 2004, I mean, the pendulum has swung for the Red Sox. Right. Spoiled, I mean, spoiled rotten. Uh, just just lastly, um, would you want another opportunity or that chapter's closed? Uh, we'll, we'll 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 see how that develops. Um, I'm consulting. Would you like it, though? Would you be interested? Yeah, I, 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 I have some personal goals that I'd like to fulfill. And uh, I have a have a have a young family. So we, we need to keep going. How um, how do you think the role has changed? since when you were in the heart of it? Well, I, I think um, 
there's there's a lot more analysts now, right? There, there, there's a lot more data. The data is parsed, uh, you know, more finely, more more carefully. Um, you know, the game the game remains the same. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a worldwide game, and uh, you know, there's there's great athletes and 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 great players. Uh, it's still hard to find pitching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've been somebody who's respected analytics, but uh, in the end, do you feel, um, you know, it's more about, you know, the trouble with the curve? He he heard it more than he analyzed it. Well, I, I, I think it takes all those things, you know, if you're going to have a good team, right? You got to have good evaluators. You got to have good tools, good, good judgment. But, you know, Harry Dalton, who was a mentor of mine, and he always said, you know, this isn't the banking business, Danny. This is a people business, right? You know, you got you got to have you got to have the best people to be good in professional sports because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. It's right. So it's having the best people and getting them to work together more effectively than the other people in the other teams you're competing against. So, you know, I I I think at the end of the day, that's that's what it's about. Well, thank you, Dan Duquette. We look forward to having you back in the game. Yeah, thank you, Leslie. I enjoyed it. And that was my conversation with Dan Duquette. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today on Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream your podcast to enjoy new episodes every week. In Conversation with Leslie Visser is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network, and is available on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. The executive producer is the great Andrew Emmer, sound design by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. Talk to you next week. Serious XM Podcasts.